Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Blake. Blake! <laughs> Blake is joining us this morning. Blake, we are super excited to have you here. So Blake Penland, you're kind of famous on Faith FM Radio. Oh, no. No, I should say your family is famous. Yeah. They're, you're not famous. Yeah, they're the famous ones. I just hang out with them. Yes. I'm like the, the token white guy in the family. You're the groupie. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so the Penland groupie is here. So many of you have heard uh, Mal Venus and... and, and and I've gone blank. Zanesu or Marlon? Marlon. Um, yeah. I think he goes by Zanesu on Faith FM Radio. But yeah. anyway, um, here on Faith FM Radio. And I think we're going to have some of their music this morning, which is going to be amazing. Absolutely. So, yeah. I'm excited. We are in the presence of celebrity kind of today. I'm like friends of celebrities. Yes. Yeah, I'm like the next tier down. <laughs> but I hang out with them, so it's cool. I'm, I'm hanging out with you too, Lyle, and That's you're right. like a celebrity as what? well. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just in awe this morning. What are you, what are you thankful for, Blake? Wow. Any random thing? What are you super thankful, thankful to God for today? Today, um, I, I'm so thankful for everything. I'm thankful for being awake. I'm usually not awake this early. I'm usually asleep, so I'm thankful for sleep, but I'm also thankful for being awake because I get to see the sun come up, and I haven't seen that in a while because I normally sleep during this time, but people on radio like you are up every morning, so this is kind of, I'm thankful for sunrises. They're sunrises beautiful. in the morning are amazing, Yeah, and Blake got to see one this morning. Uh, so Blake is a pastor of a local church, which means that you know ministry schedule does run late. Absolutely. So it's a bit of a totally late shift. Totally a different, different shift for me, Absolutely. So Breakfast Radio is, a, is a, uh, yeah, a different kind of ministry as far as scheduling goes. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, so let's talk about positively different news, Blake. What have we got? Yeah, we got a lot of, of really cool news here. But one I want to talk about really quickly is, did you know that Australia has a brand new $100 bill? Well, I call it a bill, but you guys call it a note, I think. We do. Okay. That's so because we're Aussies. How long have you been living here for? For 12 years. And, and, <laughs> I, I should and, probably know that. <laughs> and, and you're also a citizen of this country? I also am a citizen. Yeah. Um, and you still call it a bill. Well, it's because of the accent. It just doesn't go anywhere. Like, I can, I can maybe try to be Australian with my accent, but I don't think people enjoy it. So I just, I just avoid it. So, um, but yeah, we've got the hundred dollar note. We've got another attempt here for the clue. The second, the second attempt, yeah, was wrong. First attempt was right. Second attempt was okay. wrong. Second one was wrong. Yeah. So we've got two attempts so far for bragging rights on the quiz. They're coming in thick and fast this morning. Let's they see are. if someone can snap up the prize. Anyway, hundred dollar note. Yeah. So on the on the front cover, it's the same. Uh, has the war hero Sir John Monash, and then also on the backside, uh, Dame Nellie Melba, who's the opera singer. But the interesting thing about this is they basically say, even though the old one hundred dollar note in Australia was super solid basically almost impossible to fake this one is even more impossible to fake and it says as a result australia's banknotes are now thought to be the most secure in the world okay so they're really hard to make yeah i mean and, and the one of the reasons is it's got like a, a see-through plastic it's got different colors on either side so it's not just green anymore it's got green and uh, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of it right now it's got green it's got yellow it's got red it's got orange so when did this come out uh, came out 
three days ago, and it's already in circulation, but the article does say no one will actually see it in circulation for a couple months. I think probably I will never see it in circulation. <laughs> you, got, you could save up. you get there. <laughs> yeah, you and I, Blake, are probably never going to see one of well, these, but anyway. It actually says they are pretty rare, quote-unquote, but they make up 22% of all the Australian banknotes currently in use, $100 notes, whereas the 50 makes up 48% of all the banknotes. But the thing that I wanted to bring up, this is good news because now that you can't fake money. But if you really want to store up your treasures, you should store them up in heaven. Because Absolutely. that's where it can never be faked and you can always have the assurance that what you invest will always be there for eternity. So, just want to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. You've got to think about this. They've got uh, Sir John Monash on there, who's yeah. a war hero, right? And also a hero of mustaches everywhere. Yes. <laughs> Ask the average Australian who Monash was and they will have no idea. Ask the average Australian who Private Simpson was and they'll tell you exactly who he was. Okay. Yeah, he had a donkey at Gallipoli. Oh, yes, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah okay. So this is an interesting concept. That's interesting because I, I know that guy, that what you're just saying, yes. but I, I don't know Sir John Monash as well. Yeah, you wouldn't know it. Okay, so, so what do you know about Sir John Monash? He has the coolest mustache I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. So this proves my and point. And he's on the $100 right. note. <laughs> um, what about, what do you know about Robert E. Lee? Oh, like from America? Yes. Oh, he was like the general of the South and he fought in the Civil War and he lost to Ulysses S. Grant. Um, I know American history a little bit better. Okay, okay. <laughs> but what I want to illustrate here is the difference between Australian culture and American culture. Oh. American war heroes are generals. Yeah. Australian war heroes are privates. Oh, yeah, interesting. It is. So it is. kind of that like American, like top dog kind of. Well, it's just a different culture. You know what that is? That's that tall poppy syndrome. It is. Uh, if you get too high up in the ranks, you're a nobody. But in uh-huh. Australia, if you're like the little guy who does the amazing heroic maneuver or, or whatever it may be like to go and save uh, fellow Australians – you're thought, of, you're thought of as higher than the higher ranking official because you're a, you're a working class bloke. You're one of the guys who is accomplishing the dream, the Australian dream, which is to be a successful working class like bloke. Like and that's, that's and we still have not figured that out and we're still copying the American system by putting Monash on our money instead of, you know, Simpson or somebody else like that. I mean, What Simpson if they put Monash smart. and the donkey? There you go. There you go. A little a bit of a compromise, huh? Uh, <laughs> a bit of a compromise between the two. Yeah. And uh, speaking of compromise, I don't know if we have time for this, but it's election day. And there's a whole bunch of compromises being made yeah, yes. all over the place. Election day in America, talking about Robert E. Lee and the American people. Uh, uh, yeah, it's happening. I think it's Biden versus Trump right now. Um, and it's pretty wild. Some of the I've been watching YouTube on some of the commercials and um I'm kind of it's kind of appalling like what they say about each other. Like, why can't we just all get along? <laughs> you know, when you see the trajectory of you know, American elections. Yeah. You kind of wonder, you know, where are we going to be with these elections in 20 years' time? You know, the, I mean, the, the stuff the, that they're saying is just like, you can't even put it on 
on air. It's it like is crazy. Are we going to go back to the days when American politicians actually used to um, have duels and shoot each other? We're not far from that. You know what I mean? That's I just what it watched like the, the, the Hamilton musical and I'm like, yeah, we're pretty much right there again. So, yeah, it's a it's a crazy thought. And, and interesting, today, 100 years ago, was the first time that they broadcasted live on radio, which we're on right now, um, in Pennsylvania, I believe, and the airways all the way to Canada about the U.S. election. It was happening just today. 100, 100 years, years ago. 100, 100 years, years ago, ago today. today. Go radio. Go radio. So we still get to talk about relevant things. And the great thing, of course, is that you know we've been on radio proclaiming the gospel since 1927. Wow. So that's not too long after the first right. commercial broadcast in the United States. Start with politics and with the Bible, the way, yep. it, the way it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. A couple of messages coming through. Uh, the new $100 note. Yeah. Note. Not the um, bill. Includes a raised portion for blind people so they can feel the value. That's true. That's, that's it's got cool. five little dots right there, yeah. actually. Yeah. All right. The other thing that uh, um, uh, very, very pertinent uh, comment coming through on 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 text message. This is cool. We're getting I, I mean, live text yeah, messages. Yeah, yeah. This is wild. This, this is how it works. Hey, okay. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I did mention, you know, what will U.S. elections be like in 20 years' time? And mm. somebody's just sent in 20 years' time? Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> yeah. Are we still going to be here in 20 years' time? Let's pray that we're not. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all the elections being ended and going back to a monarchy. <laughs> An uh, eternal monarchy. Yes. Okay, I was wondering where you're going there. I'm With like, King Jesus. You know, it could happen this time around. You could be have an emperor over there, but... Um, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the one king who's coming, the rock who is coming at the toenails of time. Yes. And is going to establish a kingdom that will last for eternity. That's oh, the absolutely. only monarchy that I want. Bring it on. Bring it on. The theocracy. All right, let's go to Victoria. Uh, they've obviously been coming out of lockdown and at the moment you're allowed to have 10 people inside a church or 20 people outside of the church. <laughs> right? Wait, what? Yeah, so you want to have worship service. If you have it on the footpath, you can have 20 people. If you have it in the church, you can only have 10. <laughs> is this? Are you serious? Is this a joke or is this serious? No, this is serious news. This what? This is absolutely what's happening in Victoria right now. This is, this is Daniel Andrews for you, right? That doesn't make any sense at all. That makes me mad. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, whoa, 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 I'm wait. sorry. I'm getting wait, wait, mad wait, wait, right wait. now. Wait, wait, wait. What? Let me, let me wind you up a little bit more, Blake. <laughs> in contrast to that, right, in a pub, right, yeah. where, where people are drinking alcohol, their inhibitions are being lowered, right? Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're imbibing a depressant because alcohol is a depressant. Mm-hmm. That's what the chemical does. They're allowed to have 20 on the inside. Wait, so okay. you can go to the pub or, church. That's right. You go to pub and worship alcohol, you can have 20. If you worship God, you can only have 10. If you go to the pub and worship alcohol, you can have 50 outside and you can have uh, 20 inside, whereas the church is well, the, the, the church is 10 inside, the pub is 20 outside, the church is 20 outside, and the pub is 50 outside. What? <laughs> okay, now, now Blake, 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 let's, let's think about this a little here. bit further. Let's think about this further. We have quite a number. Now, your church is your church building is not that large, but mm. there are a lot of churches around here. For instance, the one that is kind of next door to where we are right now. Yeah, can house a ton of people. All right, now think about the size of that compared to the size of the pub. 
So they're not even. Hold on. I'm it's got just, nothing to do with floor space. That's that was the issue that I'm just saying. So you're nothing telling me, to do like, with floor space. You, no, that's no not square a, meter rule. It's just a flat. Look, I'm just going to go out there and say it. That's straight up religious persecution. Oh, that's why. That's that's exactly that's what I said. That's what that is. This is continued religious persecution, um, continually being brought by Daniel Andrews in Victoria. That's ridiculous. And it is. Just it's not even based off of science. Insanity. It's not even based off of pseudoscience. It's, it's just, just like, persecution of churches. You can have 20 people on a sidewalk, but you but only 10 inside the church because it's a house of worship. Uh huh. Uh huh. And think about the culture that you have inside of a pub compared to the culture you have inside a church. Which culture is a more law-abiding culture? Yeah, well, you're definitely when you're having <laughs> a few beers or something and you're in the pub, you're not going to be social distancing as much as someone who's cognitively aware of their decisions. Because alcohol takes away our ability to Absolutely. make good decisions. But even take the alcohol out of the equation and just think about the culture. Yeah. Church is a law-abiding culture. People mm. go to church to become a better person, to be a more law-abiding person. People don't go to the pub for that. <laughs> no, they do not. No. <laughs> You've got a past, Blake. You know how this works. <laughs> Sorry, yes, it's true. Okay, so uh, November 8, they're going to change it, God willing, so that you'll be allowed to have 20 inside the church and 40 outside. On the sidewalk. On the sidewalk. But then, of course, they're doing exactly the same thing with pubs. They're doubling the number of people you can have in a pub. So if you have 40 people in a pub, this is not a square metre rule issue. This is just 40 people inside of a pub. And then, of course... Why can't, why can't we just go to a simple square metre rule like that, where there is at the least board. some sort of pretend logic going on there? Across the board. Mate. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Have some pretend logic. Yeah. <laughs> that, I, pretend that, logic is better than absolute persecution. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Um, this is... That's crazy. I didn't know this stuff was happening. You I, you bring me on here to the show, and I think the whole world, is, everything is all fine. But no, you're bringing me the hard news, and I'm starting to realize things are not okay. No, our world. world is a mess. Our world is an absolute mess. Churches are bigger. They have halls where you can have other people. Um, they're made up of law-abiding people, the Bible says, to keep the law, that kind of thing. Um, they have a law-abiding culture. They don't have a history. Think of how many outbreaks we've had in Australia, and they're like, oh, yeah, this pub. That pub, the other club over there, etc., etc., etc. Not from I think church. we've had one outbreak in Australia that came from a place of worship. Wow, you know, wow, <laughs> it, it just boggles the mind. Um, and of course, churches, so so pubs are you know serving everybody a depressant. Mm, that's right? true. That's what they're serving. Churches are providing community. They're providing social connection. They're providing emotional, mental, spiritual support and healing. You're not going to get any of that from a pub. No. We need to have our churches open and our pubs closed. That's how you solve the problem of, and of course our bottle shops, that's how you solve the problem of domestic violence during lockdown. Wow. That's heavy. Yeah. Okay. All right, where are we up to? Oh, and by the way, on uh, at the MCG, Melbourne Cricket Ground on Boxing Day, they're going to have 25,000 screaming, cheering, spitting, yelling people in one place at one time, while churches are only allowed to have a maximum of 40 people on the sidewalk. I think there's some real injustice going on and, and, <laughs> and really insanity. just a disparity of, you know, all things being equal. Yeah. Because at least with the spacing, because here in New South Wells, if I'm, I hope square I'm saying the right thing, it's a square meter rule. At That's least right. there's some sort of like, 
There's a logic to that. Like that, at least there's the idea of like, okay, well, let's just keep social distancing. However big the building is, we'll just, that's how many people you can have in it going, yeah. going that way. Absolutely. But it really does seem unfair and, and really pointed of uh, the government oh, yeah. in Victoria. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They're going after Christianity hard. What about mosques? Do Same we, thing. Places of worship. So any. Okay, yeah. so they're going after religion. Religion. This is, this is a religion it's like hating. It's an anti religion thing. Yeah, it's an anti religion hating uh, move in Victoria. I just, Victorian government. Man, that's wild. It is wild. It is really wild. Absolutely. Anyway, you've got the Knights of Columbus. Uh, they're about to get a new saint. Uh, so they were founded by Michael McGivney in 1882, and he's about to be turned into a saint. The Knights of Columbus. Knights of Columbus. <laughs> yes. Okay, okay so interesting. Um, they. Began in the, in the United States um, as um, providing for working class Roman Catholics, and now they have become uh, part of refugee relief. Mm. Um, so I guess that follows their namesake, Columbus. He kind of started refugees. All the refugees. He's like, yeah, refugees, head that direction. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, but interesting uh, that this guy's about to become a saint. I did look up the process of becoming a saint. And it begins by an investigation. So they have an investigation to find out whether this guy's actually in heaven or not. Um, <laughs> the report is handed to a bishop who does another investigation. And once his investigation is finished, if it comes out possible, positive, you're allowed to call the person venerable. Uh, that is followed by a beatification process. Yeah. At the end of the beatification process, you can now they go from being venerable to being blessed. And if they can then establish two miracles that that person has performed after they died, then the Pope can proclaim them a saint and you're allowed to pray for them. So that's what's happening within the Roman Catholic faith at the moment. So, But you, um, listeners, can be a saint by choosing Jesus as your Savior. That's what the Bible says. You can be a saint today. <laughs> right give now. your life to Jesus Christ. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is Eliza Ma. Eliza, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, I just need to introduce Eliza because Eliza's going to become a part of our show over the next year or so with a monthly segment. We have a lot of monthly segments here for the interview of the day, and we have not had a historian to join us, but Eliza um, has a Bachelor of Arts with about to have honours from the Australian National University. I think that's probably the correct way of, of putting that one. Um, double majoring in history and minoring in both ancient history and Latin. So that is just super cool. Wow. And we are super excited to have somebody that uh, we can call on to talk about historical subjects, particularly because I love history. So... Uh, Eliza, who are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? Today, uh, we're going to be talking about a figure from Australian history, which uh, we don't often get to hear about too often. We're going to be talking about the third Earl Grey. So he was actually an Englishman, but he was very involved in early colonial Australia. Okay, and this was something that um, we actually chatted about was the fact that, you know, we talk about ancient history and, you know, the Greeks and the Persians and the Romans. You know, we talk about modern history and, you know, we've got some, you know, the British Empire and and uh, the United mm. States and some of these countries sort of dominate modern history. But, you know, mm. we're Aussies, so do we have any great people in our past, particularly, particularly <laughs> you know, our colonial history or our national history that oh, um, were people of faith? Yeah, so Earl Grey was, was a funny one. He was uh, Anglican in the same sense that a lot of the people of his time were. He was 
well-to-do. He wouldn't go to church every week, um, but he certainly inherited that uh, sense of you know, Christian integrity and Christian morals that really uh, guided his life and guided how he uh, went about what he did. Okay, so what was it that he did? <laughs> so Earl Grey was a uh, colonial secretary um, from the British government, which is essentially like a Minister of Parliament for the colonies. So he was in cabinet um, in the UK. And what that meant was that in a very, in a really pivotal time for the Australian colonies, before Australia was a nation, before we were federated, uh, when we were all just separate colonies, um, he uh, spearheaded the movement to make us essentially independent, to give us self-government. And um, he didn't have to do that, but that was something that he uh, made the decision to do because he felt New South Wales in particular, um, but also South Australia and Van Diemen's Land, as Tasmania was known back then, they were ready to govern themselves. And so he wanted to hand over that that privilege, um, that responsibility. Okay, so uh, how far back are we going you know, when we talk about, obviously, uh, you know, New South Wales, South Australia and uh, Van Diemen's Land, and, of course, right. I come from Van Diemen's Land. That's Tasmania. <laughs> that's, that's my homeland right there. Um, how oh, well, far, we won't how, hold that again. <laughs> <laughs> how far back are we going that, that this particular individual actually said, you know what, these guys need their independence? So the date is pretty easy to remember as dates go. Um, when we were actually given self-government, um, was in 1850. So in 1850, Earl Grey was leading the charge and he gave New South Wales and South Australia and Van Diemen's Land all self-government in that year. Um, but he was uh, colonial secretary from 1846 all the way through to 1852, which is actually the second longest period that anyone in that whole century held that office. So it was a time of great continuity and he had all the time in the world to develop his own policy and be really rational about it and not just be um, haphazard in the way he governed the empire. So just a, uh, a trivia question here, which is slightly off topic. Does this guy have anything to do with Earl Grey tea? I think it's been around a lot from like, the <laughs> 1700s. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's true. It's true. So Earl Grey, um, his, his name was Henry Grey. And he was the third Earl Grey, but his father was actually much more famous than him. His father was Charles Grey, the second Earl Grey, and he was a uh, famous Whig or liberal prime minister of England. He abolished the slave trade and he gave the middle class the vote in 1832. And um, he, the story goes that there was a uh, delegation coming over from China and they presented him with this new blend of tea um, that had... Uh, not just tea leaves, but bergamot oil as well. And apparently he really liked this tea. And um, by the time he died, everyone was calling it Earl Grey's brew. Um, so, yes, that's where the name Earl Grey tea comes from, from this Earl Grey's father, Charles Grey. Okay, so we've got a, we've got a family here that is, you know, has a history of standing up for doing what is morally right. Um, mm. And that's really fantastic. Um, obviously, you know, coming from their, their, their Christian background. What was Earl Grey's motivation for 
giving you know uh, Tasmania, New South Wales, South Australia their independence, wouldn't that have resulted in a loss of power for him? Because if he's the minister who's in charge of mm. you know colonies, doesn't he actually lose those colonies when he becomes when, when they become independent? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, motivation is something that historians love talking about because it's so hard to know. Um, if someone writes down in their diary, I'm doing this because I'm a megalomaniac and I want more power, then okay, we know their motivation. But um, it's it's usually really hard to tell. With Earl Grey, uh, it was a bit of a mix of things, as is with most of us when we make decisions. Um, part of it was he was responding to a lot of Brits who wondered whether the empire was too expensive and too much trouble. Uh, Gray thought that the British Empire could be loud and proud about its colonies. Uh, Gray wanted the British Empire to be involved, um, or wanted the government to be involved in planning out the empire, something they'd really never bothered to do before. They just let it happen. Um, Gray believed that the government could be part of making a better world for everyone. And to him, that meant remaking the world to be more British, so more wealth, more trade, and more travel. And uh, giving self-government was a step in the right direction. So his idea of the empire was that he wanted the colonies to all one day be independent and all uh, make up a network of strong allies around the world. Um, the empire was actually really expensive to maintain because Britain had to send off uh, soldiers to garrison everywhere and... and um, before New South Wales was given self-government, uh, the British Empire was also um, totally funding its police force and its convict transportation system. Um, and so there are a whole host of reasons. Another reason that would have played into Gray's thinking was that uh, the people of New South Wales wanted self-government as well. And um, some of them used pretty rowdy language to try and... Uh, get his attention, they were always bringing up uh, the states and saying, oh, well, if you, don't, uh, if you don't give us what we want, if you don't make us free um, in their language, then we might just rebel like the states and they seem like they're doing pretty well. Uh, so there were a whole host of motivations that were influencing him. Um, but I think primary um, to his motivation was that he wanted the people of New South Wales to have the maturity and the uh, dignity of governing themselves. Now, if we look at the history of Australia, you know, some would argue that England basically, you know, emptied their slums and emptied their slums into Australia to, you know, to start the colonies down here. Mm. Um, what would have inspired, you know, Earl Grey and the UK to say, well, you know, you've got all of these very low-class people down there, but we think they can rule themselves. Mm. Yeah, it was it was a really remarkable achievement that Australia very quickly, the Australian colonies overtook Britain in, um, in how many people they were willing to give the vote. Um, part of that was under the radar because... Um, because the economy worked a little bit differently in Australia, um, uh, the system was a bit complicated, but um, more um, less well-off people were given the vote in Australia much earlier than in the UK. In the UK, it took until 
1864 for any working class people at all uh, to be given the vote. Um, it is really ironic, though, that um, Earl Grey, being an aristocrat, obviously, um, and being actually a, a bit of an arrogant person, um, or someone tempted toward arrogancy, um, he still thought that, no, these people are ready, they know the foundation, they um, have the the political and social institutions, like the rule of law, like the respect for uh, majority opinion, even um, when you don't agree, learning to tolerate people, having freedom of speech, all of these things were uh, foundations that New South Wales had, and Maybe, well, it certainly didn't practice them perfectly all the time, um, but Gray was still willing to hand that over, even though uh, they weren't aristocrats, even though they had been, many of them had been convicts. Actually, the people of New South Wales were much more judgmental about ex-convicts than even Earl Gray. So it was, a, it was, I think we really need to change how we think about the British Empire because, um, and, and this really started at this time under Grey that Australians started to blame Britain for all of their problems. And that's something that we should be mature enough as a country to change. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, interesting question here because you talk about freedom of speech and freedom of um, you know freedom of people, and, and really Earl Grey was saying you know these people need the freedom that they uh, to be able to of self government. How much influence? You talked about the influence of the United States in that, you know, there were some people saying, well, America's doing pretty well, so we can do that down here as well. Mm. The US Constitution, it's been around for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years by this stage. You know, it has proclaimed uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, a whole bunch of freedoms that, mm. you know, were pretty radical ideas in their times. It's seen as being a, a big experiment, you know, people governing themselves. Right. How much did that influence the thinking of people like Earl Grey by the time you come down to 1850 because here in Australia, you know, we've adopted a lot of those freedoms in our culture that exist in the United States that don't necessarily re exist in our legislation. How much influence is it was America having on the world at this time? America was having an enormous influence. So, again, we tend to think of people in the past of, about um, that they weren't very involved in the world, they weren't very knowledgeable, they didn't travel very much. That is absolutely not the case. So if you look back in um, old newspapers, for example, from Australia, they were constantly, they had a column on news from India, news from Canada, a lot of news from the States. Um, just like today, I think if, if there was going to be, if there was an election in the States, just like today, the newspapers in Australia would be full of that. And we definitely saw uh, the US, as we do today, as like an older brother um, because they came from the same culture, they were also colonised by England, and they had the same political institutions. Um, and, and so when it came to us writing our own constitution for federation in 1901, we looked to the states and we said, oh, that Senate system really works really well and we're not going to have our own arist aristocracy uh, like the British upper house. And so we took a bit from the US and we took the lower house from Britain and we took um, our way of doing referenda from Switzerland. Um, 
early colonial Australia was very outward looking. Um, and there were people, of course, Australia was an immigrant continent. Um, and so absolutely the US was, was central to how we saw uh, rights going forward and how we saw um, the business of government. Yeah, fantastic. Um, very, very, very quickly, uh, as we're just finishing off here, Eliza, um, what made what Earl Grey did? Why was that different from what had been happening in the past? So it seems like the British Empire kind of just happened to some extent, mm, but Earl Grey has Earl Grey has made a radical change right here in looking to give the colonies independence. He did. Um, so. So the really the most remarkable thing about Gray's change is that he um, he wasn't just going to let things roll along until another America happened, until another colony uh, rebelled and you know, turned over a new leaf against Britain. He wanted to, like any good parent with a child who's reaching maturity, reaching adulthood, he wanted to uh, give. His, his children, his colonies, which is how he talked about them. He wanted to give those colonies as much independence as they could carry um, before they reached absolute maturity. And so this was really unusual because he did it so systematically. He said, these are the rules. If you fit this criteria, if you're economically independent, if um, you don't have slavery because uh, slavery is uh, a moral evil, if you... Um, if you have a stable political system that doesn't invite corruption, then you can have independence, no problem. And by independence, he meant um, he meant independence from the British Parliament and the British government, um, rather than independence from the Queen. Although he expected that would follow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he was he was the first in many many years, in maybe forty years to be systematic about that and to be upfront about that and say, no, we do want the best for our colonies and we do want them to succeed and we do want them to be independent eventually, absolutely, completely independent. Fantastic. Eliza Ma, thank you so much for joining us here. Um, we are looking forward to hearing what else you have to say as we progress through the year, uh, a new monthly piece on history. And uh, we look forward to further interviews. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.